This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. I appreciate the the uh, calls and questions that you bring. It's Friday. Now it's time to answer some questions from our 24-hour listen line, 888-99-CHART. Here's one that came in before today's program. Hey, Steve. My name is Zach. I'm from New Jersey. I'm a big fan. Just started listening. Uh, I'm new to investing as well. I'm just trying to get my foot in the water. I have a couple. I have some assets in stock, but I'm not really diversified and my friend mentioned these EREITs, which are like electronic real estate investment funds. And I just want to know your thoughts on them. And they're kind of new. The company is Fundrise. Uh, it's like crowdfunded. And I was just wondering your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Uh, I'd be very careful with them. Uh, the, uh, they're just really brand new. And some of them, many of them are private funds. And I don't trust anything about public funds when you're talking about REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, anything private, meaning that you are a limited partner, you are a limited partner, and there's a general partner that runs things, you are subject to whatever they do. You have no say. They don't have to divulge all the information. And if they borrow money and they go bankrupt, you could be on the hook for part of that money as a limited partner. So do not be a limited partner. I'd be very, very careful of those things. The ones I've seen are all limited partnerships with a general partner who could skip with the money and leave you hanging with lots of tax bills. Okay, so be very, very careful. I would not suggest them at this point. Good question, though. Appreciate it. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So when you're researching a company, before you buy or sell, make that decision to buy or sell it, you, you, know, you may want to broaden your focus a little bit. Look at the company's industry. You know, in the broadest sense, look at the whole industry. Is it thriving? Is it a good industry to be in right now? Is that the sector you want to be in going forward? Okay, no matter how good the company is in that industry, if the whole industry is having troubles, that company will have troubles no matter how good it is. Okay, uh, and then you got, you know, so even step back further than that, look at the entire economy. Just, you know, you just don't always look at, you know, macro, even though you're looking at a particular company and what this company is doing, always go bigger. Draw it back, look bigger and bigger till you're looking at the entire world economy. Okay. So the first question you ask is, how's the world doing? Well, it's growing pretty nicely, thank you. And it's, it's, it looks like it's going to get stronger, not weaker. How about the U.S. economy? Same thing. How about the, the strong economy? Will that help the industry that you're looking at the stock in? Will it help that industry or hurt? Will the politics help that industry or hurt? And then you look at the company and, well, is it the best company in that sector? See, 
you can do it from either end, but you gotta you gotta go either from the company to macro or from macro to back down to the company. I don't care how you do it. You just have to do it. Okay? Of course there's so much more value in stock than just what I said. There's tons of information you need to figure out. And that's why we're here. We want to help you with that. Our number is 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Now, we have several topics on the table we're going to talk about. We're going to spend a few minutes today. Should you diversify out of tech stocks? Also, I have some other things. Uh, what? Okay, let's talk about, I want to talk about, I don't want to be political, but let's talk about the, the Trump trade ex deal or trade uh, confrontation that he's having. Is it a good thing? Is he Does he know what he's doing? And how's that going to affect our investments? That's why I'm interested. And I want to talk about that a little bit if we can. And um, I want to talk about ethical, unethical financial advisors. What to watch out for. Unethical financial advisors. You know, I'm a registered investment advisor, so I'm part of this group. Okay? I want to point out some things that you can protect yourself when you're dealing with the, with my kind of uh, industry, okay? Because there are crooks out there, and I just don't want to be, I, I want to help you avoid them. And finally, uh, I definitely want to talk about the jobs market, jobs report that came in for March today, okay? Uh, and, and give me some details, because it wasn't very good. Let's go to David in San Francisco. How are you doing, David? I'm great. Thank you. I had a question about which brokers do you put your trades through and why, and which program platforms on the PC or Mac you trade on a daily basis and why. I'm going to be a little bit different from you because I'm a professional. You know, I don't go through brokers because a broker is someone who puts the order in and buys and sells the stock for you. We do our own trading. So we have a platform that, you know, level two platform that goes directly to the floor. And we do our own trading. So we don't go through brokers. It's much like if you got to E-Trade or, you know, Scott Trade or something like that, where you put your own trades in. I do too for my clients. Those people are not brokers. Those are custodians and those are clearing houses. Broker is somebody like, you know, you go to Merrill Lynch or somebody and you put in an order. So we don't use that. The platforms that we use to make our trades, yeah, I think we're on the custodian platforms of the custodian of our client's money provides a platform of their own. It's a little different than yours. Which platform or broker or slash custodian you suggest us to I really like TradeStation. Have you seen TradeStation? They're out of Florida. They provide a very neat level two platform for people like you and me. You know, just a regular trader, a guy. E-Trade's good and the others are pretty comparable, but I like TradeStation probably a little bit. I think it's a little bit better than the rest. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Bob and El Sobrante. How are you doing, Bob? Hey, I've got a question about two measurements that you often use. One, okay. the 200-day moving average, and yeah. the other, the level of the Dow. And aren't they different now than they were, I mean, as measurements, as gauges, 
uh, than they were, say, a year ago. Yes, because the moving averages moves, and the level of the Dow moves even more violently. Yeah, I'm looking at the 200-day moving averages of a, of a number of stocks, and it seems like most good stocks are above their 200-day moving average significantly. And so how do you use that as a, as a buying-selling gauge if, uh, if they've just broken through it? Remember, Bob, the 200-day moving average is a long-term moving average. That's for investors that buy and pretty much hold. They don't really care about any other indicators. So the 200-day moving average is a very good indicator to tell you if the stock is in a long-term bull phase or a long-term bear phase. Right, but then if you're looking for stocks to buy and most good stocks have broken through it strongly, then how do you use that as a, as a measurement? A lot of companies uh, may, will move down to close to the 200-day moving average. You want to buy them if they find support at that 200-day moving average. Now, they may not get down that far. And the more extended a stock is beyond its 200-day moving average, Bob, the more risk you're taking buying that stock. Thank you for the call. I appreciate yeah. it. This is Invest Talk. I'm financial advisor Steve Peasley. We talk about using indexes. Do you know how they are built? There are three different designs. Price-weighted. We talk about using indexes, you know. Uh, do you know what price-weighted? Do you know how they are built? There's price-weighted, favors high-price stocks. Market-cap-weighted, favors high-cap high stocks. And equal-dollar-weighted. Do you have any questions about that? 888-99-CHART. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 C H A R T and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Tom in San Francisco. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I thank you for your call. I would like to um, ask about long short equity funds. I've okay. heard a little about that lately. For everybody else, what uh, Tom is asking about is a mutual fund that goes long and a mutual fund that goes short, right? That yes. Issue? Okay. So you're talking about a fund that goes short and long. Yes. There's not too many of them out there, but I kind of like them because you're giving the manager a lot of flexibility. So if something disastrous happens, he can play the market on the downside. You're buying a mutual fund which is allowing the mutual fund manager to short the market. And for everybody else, shorting the market means that, that you make money if the market goes down. You make money if that particular stock goes down that you're shorting. Long means you make money when the stock price goes up. So if you have a short, long mutual fund, you're letting that guy decide whether he wants to be long, short, or both. And if he's both, he's straddling the market. He's not sure what direction he's gonna, you know, the market's going to go. So you can short really bad stocks and go long really good stocks, and you can make money both ways. But generally, I'll say this. Generally, the market, if it goes in a particular direction, if it's going up, the shorts don't work and the longs work. If it's going down, the shorts work and the longs don't, generally speaking. Tom, there's really not much difference in their management fees and so on and so forth. It's 
pretty much the same. Also, usually on these long short funds, you're allowing them to go to cash when they want to. In general, then, are these more risky because they've got shorts in them? They would be considered more risky, Tom. I don't consider them more risky, but the SEC does consider them more risky because shorting the market is more risky. Why is it more risky? Because if you short a stock, to get out of a short is the act of buying. And if the stock goes up that you're shorting, it can go up forever, and you can lose infinite amounts of money. <laughs> that's why they consider it more risky. Now, of course, what manager in his right mind will let it do that? But still, that's the possibility. And if you go long, the most you can lose is all your money. Go down to zero. So it's less risky. To me, that's kind of a silly argument. But the SEC considers them more risky, Tom. In fact, I think if you did the statistics, I think you'd find they're less risky. But they're considered more risky by most people. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Tom. Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is Invest Talk. Let's go to Lloyd in San Diego. How are you doing, Lloyd? Pretty good. I've been thinking a lot about unrealistic expectations of yes. retirement uh, lately. Like I have 150000 in my company's pension plan. Yes. And I have 130000 in my 401k. Okay. Now, from my understanding is if I left my company right now at the age of 50, I have to do something with that pension. I can either let them maintain it or I have to move that money somewhere. Right. But I can't touch that till I believe I'm the age of 62. The smartest thing usually, uh, Lloyd, is to take it out of there, roll it over into an IRA, and then you manage or you hire somebody to manage it. Usually that's the smartest thing. Many times they'll try to talk you into an annuity and annuitize it. Right. And I never like that idea. I think the expenses are too much, too costs are too high. And then you're stuck. Whatever it is, it is. You don't have any freedom whatsoever. My personal yeah. preference would be to roll it over an IRA. And that's what? It comes to about 280000 for you total? Right. What you need to do is think in these terms, 7% to 10% return in the stock market, okay? If you want to maintain your lifestyle and not touch the principal, figure out what 7 to 10% on 280000 is, and there's your money. And that's what my stocks are doing in my 401k. That's about the average return I've been getting on a quarter on those. They've been doing pretty good. Okay, that's good. If it's on a quarter bit, that's pretty good. So, I'm thinking about leaving the San Diego area and moving to an area where living is a lot less. Well, that's what my parents did. They went to uh, outside of Tucson. Loved it, by the way. It was desert, but I didn't like it. But they loved it. And the house value here compared to there, they had tons of extra money. Right. So then they lived off that money plus a retirement. It worked out fine for them. That's not too bad to think that way then? No, that's a good way to think. If you don't mind moving out of the Southern California area and buying someplace that's half the price, man, I think that's a great idea. Okay. Thanks, All Lloyd. Right. Thank you. Thank you. This is Invest Talk, everybody. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk.
Let's go to Marsha in San Diego. How are you doing, Marsha? Yeah, I'm trying to help my son in uh, his investing. And okay. so currently he has a 401 with the company that he works for. He's been there for approximately two years. Okay. Putting in around 400 a month. Good for him. So he doesn't really have very much in there, but Can I ask how old the Roth is? is really a better investment. How old is he? 28. 28. And is a Roth a better investment? Yes. I'm going to say yes, especially if you're 28. You know, he should fund a Roth IRA first before he goes into his 401k. Does the company match money for him? No. There's what's called Roth 401ks. Oh, really? Well, they have to choose to do this, first of all. So he should ask his company, are you guys uh, going to do a Roth 401k? Because then he could put more money away into a Roth 401k mm-hmm. than a Roth IRA. I need to find out, and hopefully by calling you, what would be a good place for him to open up his okay. Roth. He wants to open up a Roth IRA. He can put up to $4,000 in it. Now, that's about what he's doing, doing 4800 a year. Yes. So he puts 4000 in the Roth IRA and put the 800 into his regular 401k. Okay. Okay. Now, how does he do that? You can easily go to almost any brokerage house. And I would go to a discount one. You could do it at eBay. But I would probably suggest... Maybe the Schwab One program. As a matter of fact, I don't even use Schwab. But I don't have any ties there. Mm-hmm. But they have a no-load, no-transaction-fee mutual fund program called the Schwab One program. Mm-hmm. And they love the IRA. So he could open up a Roth IRA at Schwab and say, I want it in the Schwab One program, and I'm going to fund it with uh, $400 a month. And, okay. they, and then once he has enough to buy in there, he can buy some mutual funds. And why I like it? Because there's about 2,000 different mutual funds he could buy from. Mm-hmm. And they're all no load and no transaction fees. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Now, who makes the decision as to what is going to be going into the Roth? I mean, what is going to be purchased in regard to the mutual funds? He does. Okay. okay? Now, he so can he hire someone like me, Okay. And that's fine, but then you've got to pay me. On a smaller account, I don't think it's worth it. If he does this, Marsha, mm-hmm. if you have him call me at my office, I will give him some mutual funds that we like that he can get the prospectus from, mutual funds that are sold at a Schwab that you can buy, and I'll give him some choices. Okay. Oh, that sounds wonderful. No cost, just because I like helping people, and especially a 28-year-old just getting started. I know. That's so important, and I think he's really starting to see <laughs> I mean, the so. 28-year-olds, and you know, they don't think they're ever going to get old, but they do. Yes, I know. Just like we did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, Marsha. I appreciate the call. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Of course, the Josh Market Jobs Report came out today, and it was disappointing. Right? It was disappointing. 103,000 jobs were created in March. The expectation was 470,000. And the month before was 326,000. So it was pretty uh, disappointing. Now, so what was... There is a bit of good news. First, this report at 103,000 certainly doesn't make the Fed feel confident about speeding up increasing their interest rates, right? They, because it's not a very good report. It's okay, but it's much less than it has been. So it's going to keep the Fed probably on its course for three times this year, but not four. And if you looked at that jobs report and say, well, what was the problem? A lot of problem was in the construction part where there was, and why is that? If you look at it in a little more detail, it's because, remember those blizzards in March on the East Coast? 
Remember them? That really put a dent in construction spending. And we saw that in the construction spending report this week, which was up only one-tenth of percent instead of four-tenths of percent that we thought it would be, or the experts thought it would be. And the month before, it was flat. So February was flat. March was only up one-tenth and expected to be up higher. And Josh report, I don't think it's a... a, a a uh, predictor of the future is what I'm saying. That not very good high uh, jobs report. And I do think that the if you're looking for a little bit of sunshine on that report, it's the Fed keeping them on the sidelines of raising rates. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't absolutely terrible. It just was not very good. But um, that's okay. I, I think you'll be fine. I think we're going to be fine. You know, everybody's all up in arms about the trade deal, and I, I do. I will get into that the, the the trade confrontation. Everybody wants to call it a war. There's no war. You realize nothing has been done yet. Nothing. Everybody's acting like, oh my God, we you know, there isn't any. Nothing's been done. Don't panic. Let's go back to our 24-hour listener line. And go to the next question. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. And let's go to Sin or Sai in Oceanside. How you doing, Sai? How you doing, sir? Good. Um, I'm a beginning investor. Okay. <laughs> I have a question about uh, OCT. Uh, are they stock or uh, if you if you buy it, are they easy to sell? Or OCT. Cheap, so What's OCT? What over the over counter? Over the counter tray, right? Oh, these are you're talking about pink sheet stocks. They call them pink oh, sheets. Oh, okay. Um, over the counter. It's called also pink sheets. And the reason why they call them pink sheets is because the way people file them, they are on pink paper. Don't ask me why. That's where it came from. To me, most pink sheet stocks will go out of business. Okay, I'll let you know oh. for sure. You can make a ton of money or you can lose all your money on these stocks. And it's really not a good idea for as a beginner to even mess with any of them. They're too mm -hmm. risky. They're very Usually they're very low priced and they're usually manipulated. People push them up and down and take advantage of other people buying them. They're too easily pushed up and down. The liquidity is too small. Okay, Go thank to, you. Sai, I appreciate the call. We're here to answer your questions or on any money topic. Call now at 888-99-CHART. Our Invest Talk podcast continues. One of KPP Financial's solutions that help solve today's retirement puzzle is our balanced income portfolio. How do you get the income you need in retirement without the kind of risk that you don't feel comfortable with? That's what this program is all about, the Balanced Income Portfolio from KPP Financial. And remember, as with each KPP program, the principles at KPP are invested right along with you. Would you like to know more about it, the Balanced Income Portfolio? You can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts, or you can ask Steve about it directly. Just click on the Contact Steve button on investtalk.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 
$8.99 chart, 888-992-4278. So what's on your mind? Financially, of course. You know, I'll talk about anything financial. You know how I've been complaining about the indexes in recent months about how they're, they're changed and the weighting that is so heavy in tech? And therefore, you know, you're going to have to realize is if, this, that if you're in a, like the S&P 500, you, the tech dominates. I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm, I am, let's look at the top five weightings. Remember, this, this index is market cap weighting. Now, in 2009, which wasn't that long ago, this was after the, uh, after the recession, ExxonMobil was the biggest weighting at 5.6%. Then Procter Gamble at 2.2%, Johnson Johnson 2.2%, AT&T at 2.2%, and Chevron at 2 Okay, so those were the, the top five weightings of the S&P 500 back then. What is it today? Apple, 3.9, Microsoft, 3.1, Amazon, 2.6, Facebook, 1.8, and J.P. Morgan Chase at 1.7. None of, the, none of the top five in 2009 are the top five now, and four of the top five are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook. This is what I'm saying is that the index is way over-influenced by big tech. It's over-influenced. You're not getting the spread of risk you think you are in the index. You are getting the spread of risk. But if you're buying the S&P 500, it's top-heavy with, with big tech stocks now. Before... You could say it was top-heavy in big oil, where there's two of the top five. could say that. But it had mobile oil, Procter & Gamble, Johnson Johnson's, AT&T, good spread. Here, four of the five are tech, and the other one's J.P. Morgan, bank. So this is my concern, that when you're buying the S&P 500, you're pretty heavy in tech. And I just want you to know that that's what you are. And the, the index is driven up and will be driven down by tech. So you got to be really careful. Big tech. Anyway, that's what I wanted to point out. I just think that, you know, if you want to diversify your portfolio, you just, just be aware that uh, your S&P 500 is kind of heavy in, uh, in one sector more than maybe you want to be. Doesn't mean it's bad. I'm not trying to say it's bad. I'm just saying, you know, I know a lot of people, well, they like to have Apple in their portfolio. They like to have Microsoft in their portfolio. Well, you, if you, and then they want a nice index fund, S&P 500. Well, now you've doubled up on big tech. Maybe you don't want to do that. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Okay, let's go to Bruce in Newark. How are you doing, Bruce? I was just wondering, you were talking about high-yield bond yes, funds, sir. closed ends. What do you think about high-yield open-ended 
bond fund at this point? I prefer the closed-in funds. And you want me to tell you why? Yes. Because closed-in funds, because I know no one out there, or very few people know what the difference between an open-in fund and a closed-in fund. A closed-in fund has a finite number of shares, okay? Where an open-in mutual fund, they just keep issuing shares as people put money in. Okay, everybody knows a mutual fund operates on net asset value, right? So how, whatever the assets they purchase, what is the actual value of them today? Add those all in, divide it by the number of shares, and this is your net asset. This is what it is. A closed-in fund has a finite amount of shares. Therefore, they don't keep issuing shares. Therefore, a closed-in fund can sell at a discount or at a premium to the net asset value of the holdings. Many times, they will sell at a discount. Well, the closed-in funds, especially the high yield, a lot of them are selling at a discount right now. In other words, if that fund liquidated, it would give us all more and more money. In other words, they're selling all the positions in there at a discount. Therefore, we're getting a higher yield, and I'm getting a bargain. I'm getting it on sale. Whereas an open-in fund, you wouldn't get any bargain. You get it right what the value is today. That's it. That's the only reason why I like them today better than I would any other day. Yeah, I'm trying to decide what to do with my fixed income allocation in my 401k plan and it has a high yield bond fund and a stable value. Well, a stable value wouldn't give you too much income because that's not what they're designed to do. They're designed to stay stable and give you some income. The high yield is pretty much an income play. But, of course, you have a little bit high risk with that than the stable value. So you're going to have to trade stable versus risk. Bruce, that's a tough call. Maybe put half in each. How's that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate the call. Let's go to Pete in Corda, Madeira. Hi, Pete. Thanks for calling. I have a question, and it has to do with valuation. Uh-huh. A lot of times when you give a value of a stock, you'll say, okay, you do this, do that, and you end up with $50. Yes. And then you'll say, well, it's trading for $32. Right. Or it's trading for $36. And usually it's not just below valuation which you give it, but it's well below the value that you give it. Sometimes, yes. Why is that? Well, we have numbers that we evaluate. We use different factors to come to a value on every stock that we bought. So it's not always the value is higher. No. Mm -mm. When you say it's worth $50, Uh does that mean that there's a chance that it's going to actually sell for that price? What we're saying when we say this is a value... We're looking out at the future to about 12 months down the road, and we say sometime in the next 12 months, it probably is going to sell for this number. When you say that, that means when it's below, that's what you want. That's exactly right. So it's selling for 30 bucks, but then a lot of times I've heard you say, get out. That's right. Remember, there's two basic ways to look at stocks. There's the fundamental way, and fundamentals are earnings, earnings growth, earnings per share, return on equity, book value. Those kinds of numbers, earnings yield and growth to PE, those are the fundamentals of a company. And based on the fundamentals, we determine or derive at a value of the company. Then the other way to look at stocks is technical, looking at charts. Right. So when I look at a chart, I see that maybe the value is 50 bucks, but I don't think it's going to make it right now. Right now, I think it's overbought or oversold. It looks like it's hitting support or resist. That's chart reading. So when I say I would probably sell it, I'm reading a chart that says this stock is starting to look like it's heading down. So lock in your profits and buy it back some other time. Could head up later, but it's at this point, because of just the way the stock is doing, That's right. it's a loser. At least for a short-term period, it looks like it's going to be a loser. But valuation, that's a fundamental, right? That's, that's a fundamental, correct. That's, that's a fundamental. Okay. Fundamental. I got you. Thank you.
April is Financial Literacy Month. So we're doing our part to steer you to some good information and perspective. Look in our book section on investtalk.com. You know, we recommend, I do, I really like the book called Creative Destruction. Why Companies That Are Built to Last Underperform the Market. How to Successfully Transform Them. I, I do like Creative Destruction, that book. There's a number of books. All the books on there I, I like. The authors are really turning conventional wisdom on its head. They debunk the myth that high-octane, built-to-last companies can continue to excel year after year. You don't. You go back 20 years ago, and you'll see all these high-tech companies that were big at the time, gone. Gone. Leaders. I can name a couple. I can. How about Xerox? How about Momolta? How about Lucent Technologies? <laughs> See what I mean? All those who probably, you're going, hmm, where did those guys go? Leaders, they were leaders. So, so Creative Destruction, it really, really is a good book to go. If you want to see the whole list of books, go. all you do is go to investtalk.com, click on the Investtalk tab, and then Books. When you visit investtalk.com, you can catch up on Steve's latest commentary on the market, the economy, or portfolio management. His latest post gets into why value should beat growth investing in 2018. These blog entries are quick snapshots of important investing principles that are designed to help you formulate a stronger strategy. It's there on investtalk.com. Click on the Investtalk tab. Hi, Steve or Justin. It was about a year ago when a close friend of mine and I both got into learning about investing, but we both took different roads. Whereas I spent my time learning about value investing and sort of being a disciple of folks like yourself, my friend took a different road and uh, decided to learn about technical analysis and has since gotten into options trading. And he's almost 100% investing via active options trading. And he's been lobbying me really hard to, to change my thinking about investing and, and sort of push my chips in on, on learning options trading and start to do that more regularly and, and possibly even predominantly in terms of my uh, investment approach. Uh, I know that this isn't a show about options, but nevertheless, I'm a, a value investor type who uh, you know spends most of my time learning from folks like you, and, and I'm kind of in the throes of a pretty strong pitch to you know to try to learn about options. And I wonder if you guys could take a few minutes to talk about that and how I should you know, approach thinking about options, whether that's something that's uh, worthwhile to some degree or if one should just stay away from it. I want to make sure that if I stay away from options and keep on uh, with the value investing line of thought, I want to make sure it's because it's the right way to invest and not because it's the easy way to invest. And so I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about options, what your thoughts are on it, and, yeah, I, I would just be interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Absolutely nothing wrong with learning how to trade options. Uh, um, we have a program called Equity Income Plus program, which actually we buy value stocks that we would like to hold for long periods, and then we sell covered covered calls on those. Those are options. Just to try to increase our, 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 our net results. Now, 
options are not simple. There's some really different techniques, and there's a lot of a lot of lot of knowledge that it takes to, to learn how to do that. And there is, if you trade options, in other words, if you because you can sell options, you can buy options, you could you can do calls, you could do puts, and you have to know what all those things do. And there's even tech, and there's strategies where you combin combination of all of them. I would suggest for beginners to stick with just very simple options, call options or put options, very simple initially. Um, and uh, But there's nothing wrong with them. But a, an issue that you have to be aware of, if you're going to do options and you're collecting premiums, those premiums constantly are coming in as short-term capital gains. And you're going to be, you know, taxed on those. So if you have, if you're doing them in a taxable account, be aware of, of the, the the tax consequences of them. But in the answer to your question, no, there's nothing wrong with learning options. They're just more complex than buying good stocks and holding them. I mean, it's just a more complex way to do it. I wouldn't do naked options. I would always do uh, covered options. In other words, own the stock or want to own the stock that might be put to you. And I know I've lost a lot of you, right? <laughs> so we'll move on. Okay, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So what to watch out for for unethical tactics when uh, a financial advisor is trying to convince you to come with them or buy something from them or whatever. So here is some, some tactics they use. One is... They don't disclose what their obligations are to you. So all you have to learn, really, is you want to make sure that they are fiduciary and they fully understand that they are fiduciary and you're using them as a fiduciary. Many times they try to avoid that because, especially if they're unethical, because they don't want to be responsible. So I would be very, very skeptical if, uh, they don't divulge that to you, that, yeah, we're fiduciary. I'm a fiduciary. Engaging in churning. Churning is illegal, by the way. Did you know that? Churning is illegal. What is churning? Buying and selling stocks all the time. And that's how they derive their living, by commissions, buying and selling. That that methodology is gone away mostly, uh, most of the time. But be very careful with mutual funds. A lot of times someone will want you to they buy a mutual fund and it's a loaded fund, meaning they pay a commission and the unethical person gets the commission. A year later, they want to sell you a different mutual fund because that they already got a commission on the first one and the different mutual fund also has a commission. He just double-dipped you and you don't even know it. So be very careful. Watch out for pushing complex contracts. One of the things I really warn people about, and I've already said it on the show today, and that's, you know, limited partnerships. But anything that's complex, I would be very careful with. In other words, you don't understand it easily and quickly. And another problem area is annuities. Those are very complex. And the salesman only hits the highlights because they make a high commission on annuities. Now, also, whenever you get involved with a money manager, make sure the custodian of your money, 
who hold your money is SIPC insured, SIPC insured. That's crucial. Whoever's holding on your money, whatever company is, they're SIPC insured, SIPC. That protects you up to $500,000 for anybody trying to steal your money. On our last segment of the hour, which is coming up, I hope you have questions. Don't save them up. Time to ask them. Now's the time to ask any financial question you want. You can get through right now. 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART. C-H-A-R-T. So join in the discussion. To an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Kathy in Oceanside. How are you doing, Kathy? Hi. Uh, my question is my husband and I are going through a bankruptcy, uh-huh. and we were able to keep our house, but we're just starting to look at now how are we going to rebuild and what would be the best strategies for us starting all over again okay well one way you need to get some couple of credit cards now that doesn't sound like you can do it huh you can this is how you do it you have to go to the credit card company and deposit money with them it's like a prepaid credit card yeah okay and and use it use that money and do it month to month to month to month Uh, i had a sister-in-law who filed bankruptcy did this took her several years this is how she rebuilt her credit now she's i think it was seven or eight years ago now her her credit is pretty decent because that's what she did. So that's what you want to do. You got to start rebuilding and prove that you are going to make payments, you know, and that take out small loans that you know for a fact that you can pay back and right. that will build your credit because when you have accounts that are fully paid off and fully up to date and they have a long credit history on them, you've had them for many years, that will improve your credit score over time. That, okay. That's where you start, Kathy. So good luck. I hope it works for you. It will work. Good luck with it. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. Okay, let's go to Jim in Carlsbad. How are you doing, Jim? Uh, the question I had was about the mutual fund versus the exchange-traded fund. What exactly is the difference between those? Okay, ETFs are fairly new, I and mean, there's lots of them. It's kind of exploding and take a lot of money out of the mutual funds, so this is kind of an interesting thing. The mutual fund has a manager, okay? He may be a large-cap mutual fund. He may be a small-cap. He may have a discipline that he is employing, and he states that in the prospectus. And he says, I'm going to buy large-cap stocks. So he goes out and buys those large cap, and he manages, buys and sells, and he tries to manage that portfolio to make money. A ETF, exchange traded fund, is an unmanaged fund. It follow indexes like the QQQs or the SPYs, or it can follow a sector like uh, the insurance sector or the banking sector or oil sector. It could be an ETF that just has those group of stocks in them, but they're not managed at this point. Most of the time, they're not managed. They're not managing the ETF. You're just buying that group of stocks, and there you go. So one is much more managed than the other. On the other hand, ETFs are much cheaper because they're not managed. It's the cheaper fees than a mutual fund. 
so ETFs that's the, are more focused on industry groups then and rather than uh, capital value? Or? And areas of the world, even country specific sometimes, oh. or just areas of the market, yes. Great. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate the call. Okay, let's talk about trade, trade war. There is no trade war. Uh, there could be. I'm not saying, I'm not dismissing that it's not possible. It is possible, and that's why the market's not very happy about it, because it is possible. But what are the probabilities? I say the probabilities are pretty small. Uh, there's an article that was out there, Trump being cunning, not dumb, over China, says trade expert. So this expert is saying that, and he's kind of parroting what I've been saying, we are the customer, we mean the United States, we are a big customer of China, big customer. They're a decent-sized customer for us, granted, but we're the big one, and usually the customer is always right. And if it's been kind of one-sided, we don't. They can buy and sell. And they can they can trade with us without much uh, any interference. But try to do business in China and see what kind of interference you get. You have to give. So it's kind of one-sided. So that's and again, Trump is a businessman. He knows full well that a trade war will hurt the economy. He knows that. Come on, you think he doesn't know that? Of course he knows. I'm not saying he's a wonderful guy or anything. I'm just saying he's a businessman. He knows. And uh, I think that it's just, he's just negotiating. It's the same. Read his book. This is how he does it. He comes out, makes wild demands, ah, and throws a tantrum and does his thing. And then all of it, then he then comes to an, an agreement. You watch. Look at the NAFTA deal. That's almost complete. We don't know exactly what's in it yet, but remember he had the steel tariffs and aluminum tariffs, and he everybody. Oh my God! Every country in the world is going to have all these huge steel in that. No, not so much. You see, not one tariff has been put in. So try to calm down, everybody. You as an investor, calm down. Time to close the hour, everybody. You can see more about today's talking points should you diversify out of tech stocks right there on investtalk.com. And there's a link to a replay of today's program. I'm financial advisor Steve Peasley. Justin Klein and I thank you for making us part of your daily program. And let's do it again on Monday. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.